start tonight and just to think about our what's happening in the Ukraine and terrible, terrible situation. I don't know if you've been seeing what I've been posting. I posted on Facebook and, and elsewhere. Um, that Chabad has been particularly involved in this whole story because the Chabad rabbis and rabbitsons, uh, particularly the rabbis, stayed in Ukraine while everybody was getting out. They could not imagine leaving the, the people, the communities. I mean, to be honest, I was thinking, hey, why aren't they, they got to get out of there? But for them... They've lived in these communities. They've been telling the people there for 20 years or 30 years, however long they've been there, that they are there for them, that they're part of the community. They're not just fly in nine to five job. But then when the when push comes to shove, they check out, go to Israel, go to America, go to Australia, wherever they came from. And so they, all of them, you know, they sent their families to, to Israel or wherever, not all of them, uh, but they stayed until like the last few days. The last few days, even the most diehard, my classmate who's in Sumy, Ukraine, he's actually on his way out now. So we keep him in mind and anyone else who's trying to get out and the people who are stuck there, elderly, people who have nowhere to go, that they should be safe. There should be peace. Just heard a voice note. It's it's in Hebrew. I'll send it to you if you if you like. Send me um send me your your WhatsApp number. If you if you understand Hebrew, send send me your, your number. I'll send it to you. Is the rabbi from Zhutomer. Zhutomer is in Ukraine, and his name is I know him. His name is Rabbi Wilhelm. He's from Israel, and they have an orphanage. They do really incredible work. And Rabbi Wilhelm stayed in Jatomer till I think today. He said his wife eventually sent off with the with the the the, orf, the kids in the orphanage. They took them to the Carpathian Mountains, Carpathian Mountains, and she went with the with the kids, the orphanage, and he stayed in the city to be there for the people. Today he's he left and he he. Before he left, he, he recorded a voice note for his family, and and he just it's, he starts crying in the middle, like how hard it is for him to leave. Can you imagine? You'd think it'd be the easiest decision. Go, get out. Because Putin is a madman. You never know what's going to happen. But he had such a struggle leaving. He really, he said, it's a battle between the mind and the heart. So he knows he has to go, but he, he just... It seems wrong. It feels wrong that he's abandoning and leaving the people. But he knows that as a father and his responsibilities to his family, essentially, he has to leave. That's what his mind tells him. But he starts crying in the middle. He says he never imagined that he would have to leave the people. He told them that he's going to be there for them. He told them that he's there for them and he's not leaving, but he has to leave. So... Chabad is doing really incredible work. We got a call from one, one family here locally in Burlingame. They say desperately trying to get a hold of Chabad in Marisipol, I think it's called. 
maybe mispronouncing it, because she has a friend who's trying to get a hold of her mother or grandmother, and she can't get through to her for the last three days. And it turns out that the the Russians uh, shut down the the um, the electricity there, and then so the, there's there's no way to to communicate. And so we got a hold of the Chabad rabbi from there who had already evacuated and put him in touch with this woman. And she was able to speak to him for um, a few hours and was so helpful and was so, I don't, I don't know what the end of the story, but they, had their, they end up finding this relative. But so many different stories I posted about a Palestinian family from Jenin that was in Kiev or near Kiev. And they had nowhere to go. They didn't know where to go. And they heard from their relatives in Israel that to go to Chabad. Go to Chabad. And so you have this Palestinian family. He's a doctor from Jenin. Shows up at Chabad in Anatevka. The Chabad of Kiev has a shul in Anatevka. And so it's Anatevka, right? It's a village. And it's a little bit remote. And so this Palestinian family shows up. And they, they're taken care of they're welcomed um they, there's this wasn't a chabad story but there was a it was a, a student from gaza in the ukraine and he's you know where do we go what do we do he sees a car with an israeli flag on it and this is a hatsala was a hatsala car hatsala is an organization in israel and around the world that hatsala means to save so they there's help it's a it's a jewish organization orthodox jews that founded it, but it has all kinds of people working, paramedics, and including Israeli Arabs, uh, Muslims. And this kid from Gaza, he sees the Israeli flag and he goes running over the, to them. And of course, they help him out. And um, it's just incredible. The, this is kind of the glimmers of light in this dark, dark story. Other other um, people from from Arab lands, from Lebanon, from Morocco, they're going to the Israelis to help them. They're going to Chabad. They're going to the synagogues. And my colleagues, including my classmate in Sumi, they, what they're telling us is the non-Jews are coming also to the synagogues. It's not just Jews that are coming. Everybody, wherever they, they're looking for shelter, they're looking for a place with a basement. They're looking. They also believe that the synagogues are safe. Can't remember who just told this to me, but hard to keep up with everything that's happening. But a priest told one of my colleagues, he believes that all these miracles that are happening, that they're seeing miracles, how they're not, haven't been hit by any of the, the rockets and this and that. He says, it's because of, because of you, because of the, the, the Jewish community that is praying for us and the Jews around the world who are praying. So, and of course, outside of Russia, outside of Ukraine, in Moldova, and now in Germany, but wherever the refugees are escaping to, Chabad is there and taking people in and taking care of people. So we've raised a, a very nice sum here on the North Peninsula and been distributing it to the various Chabads. And again, we'll, we'll dedicate our study tonight to the people of Ukraine and to their safety and to peace in the world, Bezrat Hashem, very soon. Anybody have any 
um, connections in, in Ukraine or heard anything from relatives? Well, one of, uh, in, in my workplace, one of the guys I work with was in Kiev actually until the day Russia invaded and he was able to escape uh, with his wife to Batumi in Georgia. So um, his, his family's parents and so forth are uh, were left behind and he, he's been really terrified about how getting them out somehow. Wow. Um, you know, one thing that uh, unfortunately I, uh, I have in my mind and uh, I'm not sure if others have a similar thought um, and maybe, you know, it's not to detract in any way from everything, you know, the amazing things that uh, Rabbi Marcus, you're mentioning. But I, you know, I, it's hard to not think or not to worry about when the fingers are going to be pointed back to at the Jews. And, um, you know, I know it's uh, maybe a, <laughs> it's just a thought that is not escaping, very difficult to escape, especially with uh, Zelensky. And so, anyway. This thought crossed my mind as well. Yeah. Yeah. This thought crossed my mind as well. Let's hope that it'll be good. It'll be even better than we, we can hope for. All right. So, let on that note of uh, keeping our, our people in mind in the Ukraine, the people of Ukraine, let us go to our class for tonight. And the subtitle of today's class is how to eat, sleep, and work with meaning, with Jewish meaning. Right, I, uh, The way we advertised it was our advertising department put up that the you know, mundane there's a word mundane. Mundane is like, you know, it's meaningless. It's something you just go through the motions. Is there anything that's truly mundane in life, according to Judaism? The answer is no, of course. But we're going to get deep into that idea. So we typically think of mitzvot as meaningful and holy. When I put on tefillin, ah, that's something holy. That's something meaningful. When I eat matzah on Pesach or I light Shabbat candles, that's something, you know, that's something godly. I'm interacting with the divine in those moments. But what about when I'm just doing something mundane? When I'm eating, when I'm sleeping, when I'm working or going on vacation. Am I being Jewish? Am I acting Jewishly in that moment? Am I interacting with the divine? Am I connecting with God in that moment? Can we connect with God? Can we connect with the divine in those moments? If you've been around Chabad a little bit, you know, of course you can. But in this class, we're going to really delve into it. Because even if when you hear about these ideas, the question is, can we truly live with them? And even after hearing these ideas, we still can look at them as purely utilitarian. I need to eat. I'm hungry. I need to eat. Or else I'm going to get hangry if I don't eat. I need to sleep because I'll be a kvetch if I don't sleep. I need to work because I need to have money to buy bread, etc. But what does Judaism say about these things? How do we experience, experience them in a deeper way? So I'll ask you guys a question. What is the most important verse 
in the Torah? If you had to guess. Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. Shem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hero is the Lord of God, Lord is one. Okay, good. I am God, says Shani in the text. Ani Hashem. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. First of the Ten Commandments. How about Naase Venishma? Naase Venishma. We will do and we will hear. Excellent. Like that. Maybe Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim v'etaretz. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Very good. One more. Anybody? Ah, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> it's not the right one for this class, but I was waiting to hear it. You love your fellow as yourself. That Rabbi Akiva said, that's the big principle of the Torah. But I want to share with you my screen because that's going to give us the answer. It's always in the PowerPoint. All you need is a PowerPoint as the answer to everything. Mind your business, very clever. Changing the way we behave. There we go. So here's the teaching from Talmud, Brachot 63a. Darash Bar Kapara. The rabbi named Bar Kapara, son of Kapara, said, What is the small, brief passage that all fundamental principles are dependent upon in the Torah? A verse from Mishlei, from Proverbs. Bechol. In all of your ways, you shall know God. Everything you do, you shall know God. And he will direct your paths. So what's happening over here? The verse is telling us, Mishli is telling us, know God not only when you're in the synagogue and assume Kippur. Know God not only when you're lighting Shabbos candles. But whatever you're doing in all of your ways, not only can you know God, you should know God. So this sounds very nice and it's great. I'm sure we've heard it before, but how do we make it happen? How do we really live in this way? So we're going to address, as I said before, three areas of life, even though it's true of every area of life, but we're going to talk about the three major ones, the three big ones in terms of the time that we spend doing it, eating, sleeping, hopefully you're getting at least seven hours, at least six, at least five and a half of, of sleep and work. This takes up the majority of our day. And what we'll try to do is go from a very superficial view of these things at the lowest levels and try to get to a higher level, to a more Jewish and a more Jewish mystical view of these things to learn about it 
And then, of course, with the goal of living in this way in these three things. So let's start with food. Every event starts with food. So we start our class with food. Worst case scenario with food, eating mindlessly, eating out of boredom, eating out of anxiety. What do we have in Judaism when it comes to food? You have to make a bracha, a bracha. You have to say a blessing. It's a, it's a Yiddishism, a, 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 a Yinglishism that, we, that I say, make a bracha. In English, you would say, say a bracha, recite a bracha. But I think there's something to this in Yiddish. You say, macha bracha. Why do you say make a blessing, not recite a blessing? I think it's because when you, when you say a blessing, you're actually creating something. You're creating a blessing. You're creating a, a connection, as we'll see. So, But before we get to the bracha, to the blessing, so there's a particular blessing that we say before we eat food. You may be familiar with the hamotzi. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, before we eat bread. But really, there's a blessing for every food, and not just at a big bar mitzvah or on Shabbat, but anytime you eat, could be a Wednesday night, could be a Tuesday morning, you're having a raisin, you could be you're having oatmeal, whatever it is, there's a blessing that you say before it. You watch Stiesel, you'll notice before they eat, they always mumble something. That's a bracha. Okay, they're mumbling it. They shouldn't really mumble it. They should say it nicely, but they're saying a bracha. And just the fact, before we get to the bracha itself, the, to what is the meaning of this blessing, and what, what are we saying the blessing? Just the fact that we're told to pause before you eat. You can't just dive into your food. You have to stop. And you have to say something. That already, already creates a situation where it's not mindless. It's not mindless eating. Now, of course, I should always say the caveat if you, if you start saying the blessings by rote, then that becomes mindless. So you have to be reminded, what is the blessing for? And what are we trying to do? But ideally, the blessing, first of all, slows us down. Hold on, hold your horses. Before you eat, bite into this thing, we're going to pause. There's a pause. Think about what you're about to do. So there's intentionality. You're about to eat. It shouldn't just be a mindless thing or a animalistic, hedonistic thing, think about what you're about to do. I remember hearing as a kid, maybe some of you heard as well, uh, been told many times by my mother particularly, don't eat standing up. Don't eat standing up. You want to eat? Sit down and eat like a mensch. Sit down and eat like a mensch. This phrase came to me today. I haven't thought about it in a while. Sit down and eat like a mensch. Why? Growing up, we heard all kinds of uh, medical reasons. It's not good to eat standing up. It's not good for your digestion. You have to sit down. But thinking about it today, if you're eating standing up, it's kind of a mindless thing. If you want to eat, you need to sit down and make it an intentional act to eat like a mensch. So that's the first thing, that we're pausing to think about what we're doing. But what are we doing? What is the intention when we're eating? And what is the blessing telling us? So there's three things. Number one, of course, when we say the blessing, at a simplest level, we're thanking God. We're saying thank you to God. In fact, the Talmud says, if you don't say the blessing, it's almost like you're stealing. You're taking God's food, God's creation. You're not, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not paying for it. You're not asking for it. When you say the blessing, when you show gratitude, ah, now you can eat the food. 
And so we're being grateful instead of just taking it for granted that, yes, of course, I have food on my table. We're not taking that for granted. We're saying, thank you, God, for creating this food. That's number one. Number two, part of the blessing, you're also recognizing where this food comes from, right? It's so easy today. Um, you know, where did the food come from? It came from Safeway. No, it didn't come from Safeway or Draeger's or Whole Foods. When we say the blessing, we hear where it comes from. When we, we eat bread, we say, Thank you, God, who brings bread out of the earth. The bread didn't come from a, from a bread truck. There's a whole process that from where this grain came from, to flour and so forth, till it came to my table. It comes from the ground. And the same with the fruit. If I'm eating an apple, right? You know, we get, when we get uh, apples not from a store, you get at the side of the road. Ah, this is a real apple. It came from a tree. The apples from, from the store, they don't come from a tree. It came from a bag. When you say the blessing, Thank you, God. Blessed is God who creates the fruit of the tree. Suddenly, I'm remembering that this thing comes from somewhere. It comes from a tree. And the same with Blessed is the fruit of the earth from eating a, a potato or a banana. So these are, these are two, I would say, on the more simpler level. Number three, this is where we're going, is the mystical. The mystical gets to the deepest essence of what a blessing is. So in science, we know that the food, science will point to the nutrients that are in the food that nourish the body. So there's certain nutrients in an apple, in a piece of fish, in a piece of meat, sorry to our vegetarians, that provide nourishment to the body. They can match that up. Hasidic science tells us that just as there is physical energy in the food that nourishes the physical body, there is spiritual energy in the food that nourishes the soul. Just as there's physical nutrients in the food that nourishes the physical body, there is spiritual nutrients in the food, spiritual energy, divine energy in the food that nourishes the soul. So just to back up a little bit with a metaphor that I've told in the past, so you may have heard it if you've come to some of my classes, my apologies, I just love this muscle. Muscle is a metaphor. The muscle is of the three elevators. Jonathan is shaking his head. Good. The three elevators. You come, you come into the fancy building, already intimidated from the marble floors, big chandeliers. There's three different elevators. One elevator has a green light going up. One has a red light going down, pointing down. And there's one that maybe has a green and a, and, a, and a red or doesn't have anything. These three elevators are wonderful metaphors for everything that exists in creation. Everything in creation is an elevator. It will either take you up or take you down. Every interaction is not neutral. It will either take you up or take you down. Now, certain interactions will always take you up. Like the elevator that's pointing upwards. If you go into that elevator and you push basement, it's not going to go, it's not going to go down because it's programmed to go up. You press it a hundred times, it's going to go up. Gonna, doors are going to close and it's going to go up somewhere. 
And the same with the one that's going down. If you go in there and you press floor number 40, it's not going to go up. It's going to go down. doesn't matter what you press. And then there's the one in the middle that it does depend on what you press. You decide where it's going to go. And so it is in everything in creation. There is, There are things in life, there are phenomenons in the world, that if you engage with it, it's going to take you down. Doesn't matter what you button you pressed, you think it's going to take you up, or your intention is to go up, it takes you down. And these are the category of things that the Torah says you should stay away from. Stay away from these things, will take you down. So if a person does these things and he says, Oh, but I, my intention is to go up, doesn't matter. It goes down. The thing, the phenomenon goes down, the energy, the the, the divine energy that, that is powering that thing goes down and you go down with it. And similarly, on the positive side, if a person does a mitzvah, things that the Torah says you should do, like eat matzah on Pesach, no matter why you did it, even if you were trying to go to get down, how you go down from a, from a matzah, but it doesn't matter what your intention was. If you eat a matzah on Pesach at the right time, the Seder, it's a mitzvah, it takes you up. Even if you just came to the Seder because your mother-in-law slept you. It doesn't matter. It's going to take you up. What are the things that you have a choice that really depends on you where it's going to go? Those, that's the realm of the permitted. A kosher activity or a kosher food where it's not a mitzvah. You're not required to do it. <laughs> Hello. Uh, you're not required to do it. It's not forbidden. Let's say, um, yes. <laughs> Just a minute, sir. <laughs> it's Yaakov. Yaakov comes. It's a time of laughter. Um, right. So you have. Let's 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 take it to the realm of foods. Realm of foods, right? You have a matzah. If you eat the matzah, it's going to go up. A matzah on Pesach, right? If you eat a matzah on a regular day, it doesn't have that power. What about a banana? Well, let's go to a tray food, a non-kosher food, food that is not kosher. If you eat that, it takes you down. And the food is also taken down. The way to interact with that is to, is to not engage with it. That's how you elevate it. And then in the middle, you have the banana, a food that is permitted. Here, it's going to depend on your intention in engaging with this, with this food. There's a way that, of engaging with it that will take you up and it up with you. And there's a way of engaging it with, with it that would take you down and it with and it as well. So every time you eat something kosher, you have an opportunity to lift yourself up and to lift that item up or the opposite. And so when we eat in a kosher way, this is what happens. Let's have a look at a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov.
Oh, that's nice. Without meditation, we eat because we can. Being mindful, we eat to survive. Leading to healthier choices. Very nice. Maybe a little review of what we talked about. Okay, here we have the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov in a book called Ketar Shem. They say like this. When God says, let the earth give forth living souls or let the earth produce vegetation and fruit trees, that statement of God creates is what creates that thing. And that statement of God is the inner vitality and life force of that thing. And so when a person takes a fruit or any other food and says a bracha on it with kavanah, with intentionality, and he says, blessed are you, God, Baruch Hashem, when he mentions the name of God in that blessing, the divine energy through which that fruit comes into being is awakened. Because everything is created through the name of God. And that is that, that life force is the nourishment for the soul. The light, divine life force that is in the food is nourishment for the soul. And this all is true of permitted and kosher foods, that God commands us to elevate them from being purely physical things into something spiritual by eating it in a holy way. And then he cites a verse from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says, For not on bread alone shall a man live, but on that which emerges, we see how he translates, but rather by whatever comes forth from the mouth of God does a person live. Says the Baal Shem Tov, when you say God's name with intentionality and through the blessing that you set on it, through that you awaken the spirit, the spirituality there. From there does the person live. When I look at the English here, it's easier. A person does not live by bread alone. It's not just the physical aspect of the bread that's giving you life. As a scientist would tell you, it's giving your, your nutrients to your physical body. But rather, whatever comes forth from the mouth of God, does a person live? It's, this, it's the divine energy that comes forth from the mouth of God, that statement of God that this thing should exist. That is giving you life. That's giving your soul life. And so when you... When we utter God's name in a blessing, that is what gives life to a person or more precisely to the soul that animates us. So, again, what is the Baal Shem Tov telling us? There are nutrients in the food, physical nutrients, and there are spiritual nutrients. How do we access the spiritual nutrients in the food to give energy to our soul? When we say the blessing. When we bring God into the picture, we say God's name before eating, we're able to, to connect with the spiritual divine energy that is present in the food, which we, we won't, even if it's a kosher food and it's all clean, wasn't stolen. It has a hechsher from the Badats, from the Eida Haredis in Yerushalayim, the Jerusalem High Court. But if we don't have that intention, and we don't say the blessing and focus on the blessing and saying God's name, then we miss that opportunity to connect with the divine energy in the soul, to give, to give energy to our soul. There's three stories, three Hasidic stories that I'd like to share with you that help bring out this point of how Hasidic mysticism views eating. 
So the first story. <laughs> so the first story is of Reb Pinchas Horowitz. It was a Hasidic Rav, a Hasidic um, uh, halakhic authority. And once came to him a question about a cow, whether the cow is kosher. And it was a question about the lung. The lung as a whole, if it could be, was an animal that wouldn't have lived for years called a trefa. And he studied and he studied and he studied and he found that there was an opinion of a famous rabbi quoted in the books of Jewish law. He's known as the Shach, the Sifsei Kohen, Rabbi Shapsi Kohen, um, who says that such a cow would not be kosher. But there are other opinions. Other great rabbis said it is kosher. And Rabbi Horowitz ruled after, after great deliberation, the cow is kosher. Done. Go eat the cow. And so one of his students later asked him, you know, Rabbi, I'm just wondering, the great Rabbi, the Sifse Cohen, Rabbi, Rabbi Cohen, uh, Rabbi Shapsi Cohen, he forbids it. So, you know, why did you, why did you say it's kosher? So he said like this, when I come to heaven, when I come to heaven, they're going to, everything's going to be, you know, they have the video footage, security camera of everything I did in my life. And so they're going to ask me, why did you say that make this thing kosher? And on the accusing side will be the great Rabbi Cohen. So that's a tough thing to, to, to face. But I have these other rabbis that I was relying on. I think I'll be okay. On the other hand, if I'm going to make this thing not kosher, if I'm going to say you can't eat it, it's got to be thrown away. Or give it to the dogs to eat then I've deprived this cow, this ox, of the opportunity of providing nourishment to this person's family, to whoever else they were going to feed. And so when I come to heaven, if I had said it's not kosher and it should be thrown away, then I have an ox to contend with. So I'd rather be facing Rabbi, Rabbi Cohen and his unhappiness that I ruled against him than having to face the ox. That's story number one. Story number two is the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Sholem Dovber, that he was once eating. He was a very, I talked about in some of our other classes. He was once a very deep person. He was once eating. And I think it's said about him, or at least some, one of the Rebbe's, that he would not use a fork in a way of stabbing. This is a separate story that he wouldn't stab something. It was gentleness that that uh, that he practiced. He wouldn't stab with a, with a fork. So he would, if he used the fork, he'd use it more like a spoon. And so he was once trying to eat something, and it kept falling off because he wouldn't stab it. He kept falling off of his of his fork, or he maybe was using a spoon. And it kept falling off. And after three times where it wouldn't stay, he said, "Es will sich nicht." He said, "This food." Is not meant for me to eat it. It's not ready. The spiritual energy that is here is not ready to be elevated. In other words, he saw his, his eating of food not only as I'm hungry, I need to eat, but there's a spiritual thing that is happening when I eat this food. And if by divine providence, the food keeps falling off and I can't get to it, you know what? Maybe it's not, maybe I'm not supposed to, even though it's 100% kosher, there's some sign that I'm not supposed to eat it now. And a third story. Third story is the Balshemtov, 
Baal Shem Tov once put his arms around the students and he would, in order to give them these mystical visions that he had, he would put his arms around, he'd say, everybody put your arms around each other and you're going to see what I see. And what they saw was um, an image of an ox wearing a strimal. You know, it's a strimal, it's a Hasidic hat. Very holy people wear strimals, very pious people. What was he says? You know what this is? This is a person eating meat. He's wearing a shrimer. He looks very holy, but he became an ox when he ate it. He became an animal when he ate it. Why? Because his intention was purely animalistic when he ate it. And so that's what he became. He became at the level of an animal, not a human. He's wearing a shrimer, but what is he? He's an ox. And so what all of these stories bring out is that eating can either turn us into an animal or can be providing spiritual nutrients to our soul. And it has to do, again, it's unique that it has to do with our intention. What do we intend? What is our frame of mind when we interact with this thing? And as I said, there are, other, there are two other categories where your intention doesn't matter. If it's a mitzvah, you did a mitzvah. Doesn't matter what your intention was. If it's a sin, it's a sin. Doesn't matter what your intention is. But the realm of the permitted, which is really most of what we engage with, the realm of the permitted really depends on our intention and the meditation that we come with to it that determines what the result of this interaction has to be. So that was just the um, the farsh the farsh bites. That was the the um, the teaser. We started with the food, but really this is true about everything. So let's talk a little bit about sleep. And so this is going to be a a different type of sleep meditation. But before we delve into that, does anybody quick, very quickly, because we're we're short on time, does anybody have a, qu a question or a comment on this whole thing about food? Which I will I wanted to tell you before but I'll tell you now, this is a very hard thing to achieve. It's probably the hardest between these, between the three, I would say it's the hardest to achieve, to, to attain this type of, uh, of eating. Um, but it's something we, we should aspire to and try and try to do. I, I challenge everybody and encourage you, try it, try it, try it for a day, try it for a week. Every time you eat, sit down, eat like a mensch. And Think about it. Take a pause before you eat. Say a blessing. Think about the fact that you're going to be receiving divine energy from this food by saying the blessing. And um, yeah, let us know how it goes. Anybody with a question or a comment? Yes, Jenny. I wanted to just say that the first story you mentioned um, made me feel really nice because it uh, it's not just about us humans, but it actually takes into consideration the animal too. It being, you know, that we don't deprive them of being the creation of God as well to have that ability to achieve that spirituality level. So I really like that part. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Okay, good. Um, let's 
jump into sleep. If I can't see the people when I have the share, so I'm going to unshare. So we're going to do a different type of sleep meditation, right? Sleep meditation is usually how to fall asleep. People have trouble falling asleep, so you have a sleep meditation. But this is more about how to wake up. As I remember hearing when I was in yeshiva, that how do you expect to wake up like a lion if you go to sleep like a ferd? A ferd is a horse, but in Yiddish, it's kind of a derogatory if you go to sleep like, uh, I would say it in English, if you, don't, if you go to sleep like a lion, you wake up like, would wake up like a lion. But if you go to sleep like a ferd, you're not going to wake up like a lion. So going to sleep in the proper way, with the proper frame of mind. Again, we're talking about something that we do. We don't think too much about it. Sleep. I need to sleep. I go to sleep. Can sleep be something meaningful? Can sleep be something holy, something divine? Absolutely. What is that? What does Judaism say about sleep? So here's, first of all, a question. Imagine you have a pill that doesn't, uh, that makes you not, not need sleep. Would you take it? Most people would say no. Man, just be up endlessly. You have some people uh, who will say yes. These are unusual people. Most people will say I need to sleep. I need to have a... Why? Why is this? You need to have a break. Otherwise, it's one long continuum and we just can't imagine such a thing. So, number one, sleep gives us a fresh start that every morning you wake up, it's a new day. Also, if you're, you know, if something, if your day goes, goes badly, you have some troubles, you know, something you say, sleep on it. If you have a question... Sleep on it. What's going to happen? What are you going to get smarter in the morning? No, because the new day refreshes you. You have a new, a new beginning. You're able to, you got into a bad mood one day. The next day, you wake up, you can start again. This, by the way, they, what they say in uh, time management, right? Take care of the things that you, that are most important. The first thing when you start work. Why? Because as the day progresses, the mind gets, weaker and you know things start to build up and you don't have the patience to deal with things as you have right at the beginning and so in judaism of course we start the day with prayer with torah study and and start the day strong but when it comes to the work also get get the most important things done first because each day we're renewed with new strength new vigor interesting we say in the blessing first blessing that we say i mentioned the thing in the first class we have a blessing about our, our bodily functions, that we thank God that everything is working. You know, the plumbing is working. And we start that blessing, that God created the human with wisdom. God created the human with wisdom. And the Alter Rebbe, in his Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law, he asked, why do we say that, repeat this blessing every morning? Why is it a, a daily prayer? And he says, because each day, we actually are a new Creature, we're biryah We're new. We're a new uh, a creature, and therefore we say it each day. As I'm created anew, I thank God again for creating me with wisdom. So again, this is something that happens automatically. Whenever you sleep and you wake up, you're you're refreshed. But if you if you think about it and you recognize it, then it it 
it has an even more powerful impact of renewing us and, and giving us a fresh, a fresh start. So that's number one, very simple. A second thing to go to sleep Jewishly is called cheshbon hanefesh. Cheshbon hanefesh means taking stock of your day, thinking about what you did during the day and what you want to do differently. You take an accounting. This comes from the Zohar, that every night before you go to sleep, you're supposed to take, make an accounting. And there's the meaning of the custom of Hasidim that they would say this prayer called the, the, uh, the Shema recited at night, which is in the Siddur, everybody says it. But among Hasidim, they would take hours, even though it's only a few pages, they would take hours because they wanted to really fix their day or, or go through their day and go to sleep on a, on a, like a lion. Especially on Thursday night, that was, you know, they, they could say it for a few hours, be, be reading the Shema. And I, I've mentioned in the past, there was a Hasid who used to say, after his thinking about his day, he would say, Morgen the Zain, God Anders. Tomorrow is going to be absolutely different than it was the day before. And every single night he said that. Every single night, tomorrow is going to be much different, much better. So that's a very different way of going to sleep. And so, again, just like with eating, we said, don't just eat, pause, think about what you're about to do. The same thing with sleep. We take a pause. We take a pause button and we take stock. And we have that every single night that we're able to review what happened and how we're going to do it better. There's another, I mentioned in other classes, but there's another uh, very interesting prayer in that, in that prayer before you go to sleep where you forgive everyone. Anybody who angered me, anybody who upset me, anybody who harmed me, everybody. Whole body Israel. And fascinatingly, it says, whether in this incarnation, or in a different incarnation. If somebody upset me in a different incarnation a thousand years ago, I forgive him. Isn't that amazing? No person should be punished because of me. In other words, there's justice in the world. So if somebody harmed me, or I even harmed me in a previous incarnation, could be now, a thousand years later, that soul is getting punished for what it did to me in a previous incarnation. And so tonight, I'm going to forgive that offense from a thousand years ago. Don't want anybody to be punished because of me. And so really, you're letting go. Every night, you're letting go. You know, the famous story of the, uh, the monkey puts his, I think this is not just a story, is real. It puts, the, puts his hand into the jar, right? To, to get the fruits. But he can't take his hand out while holding the, the fruit. And it doesn't have the wisdom to let go of the fruit and take his arm and take his arm out. He can't let go of that fruit. So he's stuck with this jar, his hand in the jar, because he can't let go of the fruit. And so every night, you know, it's human nature. We also, we hold on. We don't want to let go. Even if it's self-destructive, we hold on, we hold on, we hold on. Toxic, we hold on to, to toxicity. So every night in Jewish practice, we let go. Forgive, and then we ask God to forgive us. If we're willing to let go, 
say, God, how about you? You help us, help us out here in that in that same vein. So that's all without getting to the mysticism. On the mystical level, this sleep is a time for the soul to reboot. Sleep is a time for the soul to reboot. Not just the body, you were tired and then you woke up, you're awake. No, the soul is having a spa. Just as we said with interesting with the food, that eating is also for the soul if you do it right. With sleep is also for the soul. And this we see in a in a verse that we say before going to sleep, besides the Shema. The verse says, it's, uh, it's in Adon Olam. Um, in your hand, God, I deposit my spirit. We say that every night. Why? Because when we go to sleep, the soul, which throughout the day has really been in exile, it's in layers of layers of worldly mishigas, the mishigas of this world. And what happens every night? It gets to go away from that. Returns to God in a sense. And it's re-energized. And now the next day, ready to go back to work. Yeah, I was thinking that it's uh, similar. If you have an electric vehicle, what do you do before you go to sleep? You plug it in. And overnight, your vehicle is getting charged. That's also what's happening with our soul. Every night, the soul is getting a charge. It's connecting. This idea that sleep can be a, a holy, a spiritual thing, it's a beautiful story about the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Shalom Dober, who I mentioned before. He had a granddaughter named Shana. Uh, Shana was the sister of the Rebbe's wife. And... He once taught that everything you do on Shabbat is supposed to be in honor of Shabbat. When you eat, you're supposed to do in honor of Shabbat. So she says, but you can't sleep in honor of Shabbat. He says, how can you, how can you sleep in honor of Shabbat? He says, yeah, you got to sleep in honor of Shabbat. He says, how can you, when you're sleeping, you're not having any intention. She was a clever girl. So he said, no, if you go to sleep with the right intention, even your sleep, can be holy. The Rebbe once spoke about it and says that sleep isn't doesn't mean you're you're you've turned off. Being the proof the Rebbe brought was that um, sometimes if you need to wake up, you can program your brain to wake up at the time you want to get up. That means that when you're asleep, even when you're asleep, you still have you still have power. You still have some control. So when we think about what sleep means and what it represents. Then it goes, it goes um, from being just something that we do as a natural, just by default, and because something becomes something holy and something deep. Okay, I'm moving quickly. Um, there's a bunch of meditations from Rabbi Wolf that we've shown in the past. Go to the, you can go to, you can go to the website to watch them. We won't have time to watch them here, but he has a meditation for each of these: meditation on food, and you have, you have to get a raisin. You get a raisin. As a meditation on the raisin, and then you eat the raisin. It's part of the meditation. Um, he has a meditation about sleep, and he has a meditation about work, which is our last, is Act 3 of tonight's class. How do you work in a holy way? So, question. If you won the lottery 
tomorrow, you never had to go back to work. Would you go to work? Some people will say yes. A lot of people would say no. There's a human desire and need for work. So in other words, you can look at work in two ways. One, and we, we do look at it in, in two ways. One is I need to earn a living. I need to pay for my needs. I need to pay for my family's needs. And then there's looking at work as work for the work itself. So you have people who, they love what they're doing. They would do it even if they weren't getting paid because it's something meaningful to them. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about there is something in the human nature that we need to work and not just get things for free. We need to feel productive. And the Midrash talks about this, how um, you know Jacob was working. He was, a, he was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. The prophet David was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd and an uh, inspector of sycamores. It says that, that, that um, you know, work, Judaism values work. And even says that Elisha, the prophet, the divine presence rested upon him because he was he was working. Uh, we have a we have a teaching that a person should 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 love work. You shouldn't despise work. We have that in Pirkei Avot. And in fact, what does it say in the Ten Commandments? Shani, you had Anochi Hashem Elokecha is the most important verse in the Ten Commandments. It says keep the Shabbat. But before it says keep the Shabbat, it says six days you shall work. So it's actually a mitzvah to work. In other words, work is not seen as, I need to work. No, there's something positive about work. It's even a mitzvah. So that's kind of embedded in our nature that we want to produce. We'd rather have, uh, teaching in the, in the Talmud, the Baba Metziah, we'd rather have one portion from something that we ourselves worked for and we created the nine that somebody else just gave us for free. That's in human nature. And so even if I won the lottery, I still need to work. Why do I need to work? That's a basic human need to be productive. And um, there's a, actually Rabbi Soloveitchik talks about this, that that comes from the fact that we're, because God creates. And in fact, the Midrash says that God created for the first five days of creation. Then he creates the human and says, now it's your turn to create. I'm done. Now it's your turn to create. So it's imitatio dei. We are in imitation of God when we work and we create. So that's all all on a very basic level. Now the Hasidic side of it. The Rebbe once talked about this. He says, why is it, right? We're supposed to be a holy people. Why do we find that most Jews have to work, right? You have some that are dedicated to Torah study all day and very nice, very beautiful. Yisachar, Trabi Yisachar. But primarily, Jews are engaged in work most of the time. Does that make sense? Shouldn't we all be studying and praying all the time? And he says, Hasidus teaches that it's actually in our engagement with work that we're fulfilling the divine purpose of creation. When we interact and engage with with the material world and do it in a kosher way, with honesty, with kindness, we're actually fulfilling the purpose of creation. We talked many times about the the spies that didn't want to go into the Holy Land, that Moshe sent to the Holy Land from the desert. He said, we don't want to go into the Holy Land. We want to stay in the desert. They wanted to be a completely spiritual people. So Moshe, God says, no, that's a huge mistake. 
the purpose of creation is fulfilled when we're in the world, when we are working, when we're engaged in plowing the field or engaging in commerce and doing that in a holy way. The very first question they ask when we come to heaven, the question that is asked is, did you engage in business? What's emuna? Simple meaning is <clears throat> with honesty. Were you honest in business? The first question that we're asked. Not did you fast on Yom Kippur? Not did you donate to the JNF? But were you honest in business? That's the first question. But there's a deeper meaning of that question, which is, did you engage in business with faith in God? Or did you allow the yoke and the ambition of work to make you forget about God? Did you start to worship it? And so it's it's really two sides of the same coin. Because when business becomes or, or work becomes something about the ego and about the ambition of or about survival, and you're forgetting about God, that's where dishonesty can fall in. That's where a lack of kindness can come in. So many stories that come to mind um, of, of, of business owners who acted in a compassionate and kind way to the detriment of their own business. You know, we, the, the, the world that we live in here in Silicon Valley, no matter how much money your company has, you're still out to stab the other company to get more market share because you need to be not worth $100 billion, You need to be worth $200 billion. All kinds of horrible things that go on, not to disparage all of Silicon Valley. It's a generalization. We know many good companies. Um, but you have that. You have that. It's like, well, that's business. Business is business. Reminds me of a joke, but I don't have time to tell it. So what, according to Hasidic teaching, again, work is not just a utilitarian thing. You have to work to make money. No. You have to eat because you're hungry. You have to sleep because you're going to get tired. No, each of these things, when we look at it from the Jewish perspective, it becomes very intentional. And when I'm eating, there's a spiritual energy that I'm taking that this that is that is firing my soul. When I say a bracha, I activate it. When I'm sleeping, my soul is being recharged. I'm giving it back to God. I'm going to sleep. I'm thinking about my day. I'm deciding to, to do better the next day. And I'm giving my soul up to God. Give it a refresh. I'm plugging it in for the night. And when I'm working, it's not just I need to work because I need to make and make a living, or I need to work, or else I'm going to lose my mind, whatever's left of it. No, I'm actually fulfilling the purpose of my creation, of the purpose of the world. God wants me to be engaged in the material world and doing it in a holy way, in a compassionate way. In fact, through that, I'm creating and fulfilling the purpose of creation, our, our, our job in creation, which is to transform the world into a godly place. And so that, ladies and gentlemen, is eat, sleep, work with a meditative approach. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll open it up to questions and or comments. I think that your um, metaphor of the elevator was a good one for all three of those, for, for food, for sleep, um, and for work. 
um, and, and it represents so much of, of symbolism of, of the divine I mean, and, and all of life, right? You can move down to the level of chaos, disorder, darkness. We can move up to the level of the light, wisdom, truth, beauty, divine. And there's always that tension or that movement that's possible, right? I think it's a nice way of, of, of showing that with the metaphor. Thank you. Thank you. I see you saying you could you could eat in a way that takes you down or takes you up. Yes. You can sleep. Sleep sleep is a is a harder one. I said sleep, even if that even without great intention, I think it does a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you could you could sleep too much. Yeah. You know, if God forbid a person is in a depression, then it could have a negative effect. But generally, I would say that sleep is the easiest to have a good effect. You could escape into sleep when you're feeling depressed or other things to get away from facing reality, too. Right, right. So that's a negative. Yes. And then, of course, work. Yeah, work can take you down. Anxiety or uh, ambition, misplaced ambition. Um, or can take you up. Thank you. Charles. If I, if I may, Rabbi, um, I've listened to a lot of classes um, over a lot of years in a lot of different places, and I don't think I've ever um, been more deeply moved uh, by an hour or as many minutes as the class was as I was by this, by the, by your uh, by your lecture this evening. It, it really spoke to me because in each of the sections, you talked about something that absolutely resonated with me. The sleep, you know, the sleep, the work, the eating. Obviously, I'm in food and beverage and hospitality. So <laughs> food, beverage, service and hospitality has been my has been my life. Um, but the in the in the interweave the interwoven Part of it is is the study of the Torah, and that you know that seems to for me was the was if you will allow me to use the expression because I know it has to do with horses, but the glue that holds you know that 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 kind of permeates through each of it, because each one alone is just alone, but if you don't weave the the study uh, the the study of Torah into that and through that then all of a sudden it's kind of it's empty and you know when you it was interesting you said and i'll be brief when you said about saying a bracha versus machen a, a, a bracha and <laughs> um, i speak swiss german and german and you know a little bit of yiddish so i understand the the nuance between saying and macha and uh it was like, whoa, like I had chicken skin running through me going, that's, you know, you, you don't say a blessing, you make a blessing. And by making a blessing, you're bringing it closer to you. And that pause when, you, you know, and the story that you related and there are other uh, stories about that the, there was one rabbi where he said to the students, you live to eat, and I live to make, and, and I, I know I'm going to mess this up, but I, I eat live to live. Right, I eat to live, but I live to, I live to make a blessing. 
and this was about I guess you know there was whatever the whatever the student was about to eat, and there was discourse about that, and then it that 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 story and what you related this evening is that pausing for that moment, that split second before, you know, the, you're ready to month and you have the ability just for that split second to go, wait a second here, which blessing is it? And how and in what way should I show uh, respect for that moment? And that kindness, um, you know, will repeat itself again and again. So, uh, you know, I'll stop chatting, but thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate that. Appreciate yeah. that. As as a great great story, you know the uh, you eat. Do you live to eat, or do you eat to live? That's a big big difference. Yeah, it really does. And listen, I grew up. I grew up in the city, and I you know I mean we, you know the New York metropolitan area. Okay, and then I had no idea where bread came from. Like, you know, the first drive like to Ohio and mm -hmm. Iowa and you saw like corn and you saw wheat because I felt like wheat, you know, bread comes from a bakery. You know, Nishkafe like the guilt, you go to the bakery, you, you know, you put down, you put down whatever you put down and you get your bread. That's where bread came from. Yeah. And only when you, you know, when I got out of the, you know, uh, the mishpucha and, you know, traveled, did you actually then see, oh, it, it comes from, it, there's wheat. And it comes from the ground, and then you have to mill, the, you know, etc., etc., etc. Never dawned, you know, it never dawned on me, because as a kid, you know, growing up where I grew up, yeah, <laughs> you know, what do you, you know? What do you, you know? What do you know from it? There was another. There was another parable about where um, a very a very poor person um, went each week to pray, and then the baker. Opened the opened the uh, opened I guess the ark or a, a place right and, put in the bread <laughs> yes and then the bread the bread was inside and then every week you know the the poor person would go and pray for the bread oh God please please you know I don't have any bread for my family and then every week the baker would arrive before and then you know, there would be great thanks and this and this. And then the rabbi discovered, if I'm telling the story, then the rabbi discovered it. And he had the two of them, you know, the, the two of them said, this is no miracle. He came and you delivered and <laughs> delivered. But they, they did for nine. And then, you know, and then something terrible happened to the rabbi because he belittled the people who were doing this. And at the, the question that was asked for nine years or 11 years or 12 years, they never saw each other. They never saw each other. It was just the miracle of the hand of the creator working to create that miracle. And that the rabbi then belittled them. And then uh, the story went on. I think he passed or something like that, or he was revived, whatever it was. But it was just such a profound, you know, profound statement, uh, you know, about the hand of the creator in our lives. Right. Beautiful. All right. Anybody else want to share something before we Sorry. sign off? Sorry, sir. No worries, Charles. All right. Well, thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen. This has been wonderful. We packed a lot in in uh, in an hour. I feel like we could have given this class over three classes, one on eating, one on sleeping, and one on working. But we managed to pack it in. 
And next week, we'll be back in business with the, with the last of the six-part series. And I hope we see you then. Again, blessings to our people, prayers to the people of Ukraine and Russia. They're also going to need help due to the actions of uh, Mr. Putin. They're going to have a lot of trouble themselves. And so we pray for the whole region and for the entire world for the time of peace. Amen. Baruch Hashem. Chodesh Tov. Thank you. Good night. Laila Tov. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Laila Tov.